By the way, I was engaged with someone else too. But that's, <laughs> the Lord broke it all up. The Lord together. supposed to be like equally yoked with a non-believer. And how can two walk together unless they agree? Yes. And praise God that a sister was bold enough to share that with me. And the Lord did. <coughs> so I broke up with him. And a month to the day, my husband asked me out. And, um, and when I went back to work after I broke up with the one guy, I was a Christian. <coughs> and I told they were expecting me to have my ring and have the date. And I said, and they were... I said, no, we broke up, and they thought I'd be crying. I said, listen, I know God's going to give me a man that loves God with all of his heart, yes. all of his soul, and in return is going to have enough love for me. Because whatever you give to God, he gives back, pressed down, overflowing. Amen. And so he was number two for me, too. So <laughs> God has been good. He's been faithful. And I just want to say that to all of you. Seek first the kingdom of God. Seek Amen. first the Lord. Choose his ways over the world's ways. Mm -hmm. I hope it's bless you. Time mm -hmm. won't be always great. <coughs> yes. Thank you, honey. Yes, give another you, you have at your table, and feel free to take as many as you'll actually use. This is my testimony that I put out, that I put to print. Uh, I was torn. Part of me wanted to write a book, but that's real expensive. And then if you write a book, you know, you can't really give away thousands of copies. It's really difficult unless you're independently wealthy, which I am not. And so then I thought, well, I'll just write a little track. Everybody, you know, I think everybody should try to take a stab at writing their testimony in a little track. But it, then it kind of morphed into something in between a booklet. And by the grace of God, we printed, uh, believe it or not, over 40,000 of these. And we've given away 22,000, 23,000 in South Philadelphia. And all every door in Packer Park, all this entire area, this was years ago. And then from Oregon Avenue, I think, to like Tasker Street. I want to go to Tasker Street because I grew up on Tasker Street. And from Front Street up to Fifth Street and every little street in between, every single house we hit with this. So if you got one and threw it away, shame on you. Just kidding. <laughs> Just kidding. But take it and read it. This is my testimony. It's called The Fifth Sparrow, A South Philly Story. And then on the back it says Calvary Temple, so you could just change that. It's the same phone number, but we, don't, we no longer have an independent uh, uh, website called The Fifth Sparrow. So if you go to that, you won't find it, but maybe we'll resurrect it someday. But I just wanted to reflect on, before I get into baptism, I just wanted to reflect on the power of God. As we are saved by the power of his blood, but also the power of his Holy Spirit. See, to be born again is actually a spiritual resurrection. It's not just an ideology switch. In other words, I don't just say, wow, you know what? Uh, when, I was, when I was roaming the streets on drugs in Fifth and Tasker where I grew up, I didn't have an epiphany one day and say, you know what? The wisest thing for me to do would be to be a Bible-believing Christian. I wouldn't even know where to begin or how to make that happen. But God touched my life with his power and set me free, as it goes into the details in this book, from heroin addiction. And, but here's what I really want to say. I want to get this out. Because we sometimes hear a lot of testimonies about deliverance from, by the power of God, and that's a wonderful thing. But what I want to say to you is the same power that delivers you will keep you. Amen. Now, I am celebrating this month my, and I, to, to God be the glory, I can't even believe it, 50 years knowing Jesus Christ. Seventy-one, February of 1971, I was in a place called Teen Challenge, 
I turned 17 years old. I heard the gospel for the first time in my life. And this talks about some of the things that led up to that. So why, why did, you don't mind if I take a few seconds here? Take all the time. <laughs> <laughs> but why did I even call this the fifth sparrow? What was the, have you ever thought about that? What in the world is the fifth sparrow? You might be asking that. I'm so glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> because there's a couple of places in the Bible where Jesus talks about sparrows. Now, the Bible talks about other birds as well. You shall mount up with wings as eagles, they that wait upon the Lord, right? And all of that. Uh, the, we'll read about this where the Holy Spirit came down upon Jesus in the form of what kind of bird? In the form of a dove. And uh, I'm kind of like, a, I'm coming out of the closet tonight to you. I'm kind of like a, a bird watcher. I really like bird watching. Doesn't sound too masculine. I have binoculars in the whole nine yards. <laughs> I like to watch birds. And I actually, just the other day, I heard a woodpecker for the first time. It's kind of one of the signs of spring. And I was trying to spot him, but I couldn't spot him. So I like blue jays. Blue jays are actually uh, very uh, aggressive at times. They will dive bomb you. Blue jays remind me of people from South Philly and New York City. Come, come down, um, dive bomb you. I love, I love, and my wife and I both love cardinals. Have you ever seen cardinals? They're one of the birds that you still see around in the wintertime, finding sustenance somewhere, a little berry somewhere, a little twig somewhere. So cardinals. So Jesus could have spoken about all of those magnificent birds and uh, eagles and cardinals, but he said stuff about sparrows. A sparrow is an insignificant or thought to be insignificant little brown bird. Basically, a sparrow is a common bird, very common. I was preaching in Africa through a translator, and I was preaching, I was reading these verses I'm going to read to you. And when I came to the, to the word sparrow, I should have consulted my translator ahead of time. He looked at me and went like this, because he, he didn't know what I was talking about, because there was no word in that language, the Portuguese language for sparrow. He couldn't figure out how to translate it in Angola, Africa. And then he finally heard him. He said, oh, a little brown bird. And so that's how he translated the sparrow. So here's what Jesus said about the sparrows. You can write this down, but you don't really have to because I gave you the verses right here in this book. And he said, two different places. Can I read it to you? How many will let me read it to you? I'm going to do it anyway, so you might as well look good. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, verse 29. Jesus said this, Are not two sparrows sold for copper coin? Now the translation says penny. That's easier to remember. It's actually even a quarter of a penny, this, this coin. But let's just say penny because we can relate are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them fall to the ground apart from your father's will? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. <laughs> it take, it's more difficult for him to number some than others. I'm just kidding you. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, for you are more valued than many sparrows. So one of my favorite gospel songs, it's a real old-time gospel song, His Eye is on the Sparrow. You ever heard that song? Anybody ever heard I sing because I'm happy. I sing because I'm free. His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. So I, wanted, I want to give you a little math lesson here. And I don't like math, but it's a spiritual math lesson. Two sparrows sold for a penny. Say that with me. Two sparrows sold for a penny. Say it like you believe it. Two sparrows sold for a penny. 
right from the Bible. Now, if you have your Bible, you can turn to it. And let's just listen. Luke chapter 12. Jesus speaking again on the same subject adds a little twist to it. That's why we have four Gospels, which we'll find out when we study baptism, that you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. And so here's what it says. This is Jesus teaching about sparrows, but listen to the difference carefully. This is Luke chapter 12, verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Did you get the difference? Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies and not one of them, get that, not one of them, everybody say not one of them, not one of them shall fall to the ground or be forgotten by God. Very, the same thing, very hairs of your head are all numbered. Uh, don't fear, you're more value than many sparrows. So I always thought that last part struck me. Don't fear, fear not for you're more value than many sparrows. And what's the significance of that statement? Don't be afraid, you have more value than many sparrows. Do you know what I think is part of the human condition and all of us, I think, have this fear or we've experienced it some time or another? The fear of how much are we really worth? How, what is our acceptance? Are we of value? And sometimes preachers will get it all twisted. You heard a preacher say sometimes, you are a worthless sinner. That's a lie from the devil. You are not a worthless sinner. There's a difference between being worthless and unworthy. Did you know that? Worthless means you're not of any value, isn't it? Worthless, you have no value. Jesus said you are more value than many sparrows. Unworthy, we are unworthy sinners, meaning that none of us can point to the cross and say, you know, God owed me that. We are unworthy. What is grace? Unmerited, unearned favor. So you see the difference? How do you determine, I don't want to get into this too deep, but how do you determine, this might be helpful to somebody tonight, how do you determine the value of something? There's two basic principles that determine the value of something. Number one, uh, how it was made. There's a reason why a Rolex costs more than a Timex. Come on now, how many know Rolex costs more than Timex? Because one is made meticulously, handmade, Swiss uh, movement and everything, and by hand it's going to cost you $100,000, maybe more. Timex, I don't even know if they sell them anymore, but Timex, $20 or whatever. Although I once bought a, a Rolex in New York City on Fifth Avenue for $10. <laughs> and then I got home and I found out I didn't have anything in it. <laughs> that was a long story. But how, how was it made? How was it made? You know, a Mercedes-Benz, a, a BMW, a Rolls-Royce, going to cost you more than a Chevy or Volkswagen because of the craftsmanship. So do you ever think about, let's just apply that for a moment to our value. How were you made? The Bible says, and David said that we were fearfully and wonderfully made, created in the divine image of God. So wonderful. What is the value that we have? I once, and I have it somewhere in my notes, but I don't have it in front of me, where John Lennon, anybody heard of John Lennon, the Beatles, John Lennon? He had this crazy thing him and Yoko Ono had, they called a bed-in. Remember they had sit-ins back in the 60s? Some of you are too young to remember that. But they had stuff like this. And they stayed in bed for world peace. I thought, man, that's a great deal. Maybe I could do that, you know, to stay in bed for world peace. And I don't think it would work. And they had a poster that said uh, something like, uh, 
you know, bed piece or piece, you know, and it was made out of just paper, brown paper, and it sold because it had his signature on it. John Lennon, he signed it. It sold at an auction for some crazy amount of money, like, you know, $500,000 for just a piece of paper. You know why somebody was willing to pay that? Because it had John Lennon's signature. So the second thing that determines value is not only how it was made, the craftsmanship, but also the price willing to be paid. What will the market bear? That determines value, right? What is somebody willing to pay for it? That's why some houses in Philadelphia that were just $150,000 are now four, five hundred thousand because the, you know, they're in demand. So think about those two things and put that together. Number one is, what, what about the craftsmanship? What about how it was made? How were you made? And so we're creating an image of God. Second thing that determines value, apply it to your life. What was the price willing to be paid for you and for me? The greatest amount in the universe, the precious blood of Jesus. So I just wanted to share that with you. Uh, the fifth sparrow. Why the fifth sparrow? Okay, let's go back to that. You thought I forgot where I left off. Two sparrows, one penny. Five sparrows, how many pennies? Two pennies. Who can do the math? This is a bargain basement deal. So two for a penny, buy four, get one free. Right? When I was coming up in South Philadelphia, I grew up in uh, 5th and Tasker, 435 Tasker Street. At 7th and Snyder was a store. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember John's Bargain Store. I remember that. Does anybody remember? Is there anybody? Can I get a witness? Only the oldest people in here. John's Bargain Store. Now, when I was a kid in the 60s, there was really only a couple of varieties of, of sneakers. I don't even know what I have on here. But there was, there was basically Keds, and Keds were for kids, you know. Keds. But there was Converses. So people would say, I've got my Cons, my Chucks, my Chuck Taylor Converses, right? You know the Converses, people are wearing them today, and it's very cool. Converses have come back. Did you know Converses are over 100 years old? Converses. Look it up. Google it. Check it out. And so if, if, you, if you couldn't afford Converse uh, sneakers, you went to John's Bargain and you got a, a cheap uh, facsimile, a cheap brand X, and we had a name for that when I was coming up. Bobo. And we even made a song out of it. Bobos, they make your feet feel fine. Bobos, they cost a dollar ninety-nine. Bobos, they look like no dogs. I don't know. And you can buy them in John's Bargain Store. Bobos. And if you wore Bobos to junior high school, you got tormented. People would say, you got Bobos on <laughs> Go home to mom, please. Give buy me Converse's. I'll be good. I'll do anything for Converse's. Because uh, it made you look bad. So buy four, get one free, right? So if sparrows in and of themselves are not of that great of a value, let me ask you a question. Then how much more insignificant was the fifth sparrow? The fifth sparrow had no value attached to it. Intrinsically, it was just thrown in to make a deal. Fifth sparrow. Okay, buy four. Here's the fifth one. Throw it in. So why do I name it the fifth sparrow? Because I felt like I was the fifth sparrow. 
Growing up at 435 Tasker Street, I was the house, I was the kid that all the other parents in the neighborhood said something like this, don't you go near that house. Don't you go in there because my bedroom was a, a shooting gallery. I started, I'm just gonna try to abbreviate this, but I started using drugs when I was 10 years old and uh, 10, 11 years old, something like that if you can imagine. I was a, a mainline heroin addict when I was 15 and in jail in the house of correction at 16 years old, I think, 15 or 16, I can't remember which, my cellmate, God used him. And looking back in hindsight, I believe he was a Christian, but he didn't really come out and witness boldly. But I was in there, and back then they, they, they made you wear this outfit. No orange jumpsuits back then. But they had like a, a, a blue uh, pants that looked something like an orderly in a hospital would wear. And then they had a V-neck white smock that you would wear. Okay, some of you are nodding. I don't know if that's a confession that you wore one. <laughs> I won't go there. But and then so it was on a Saturday night, and I saw my my cellmate. It was only two of us doing something, and he seemed like such a nice guy. I always wondered, what are you doing in here? And it seemed like he was doing something very odd because they would give you like this chunk of lye soap in your cell. So he was wetting his shirt, and he was doing like this with his shirt. And he was plastering it on the wall with the soap. And I said, this guy's nuts. I'm in, I'm in, he's going to kill me in the night. You know, this guy, what is he doing? And I said, what are you doing with the shirt? He said, I, he said I'm getting ready for church tomorrow. Starching. You know what he was doing? He was starching his shirt. So he would look at, he was putting on his Sunday best. So I didn't even know why I did it, but I said, well, I'm going to starch my shirt. So I did, I starched my shirt. And I went to church that day. And in, in the House of Correction, right near across the street from Holmesburg Penitentiary, it doesn't exist anymore. It's not in use anymore. And uh, and I, I felt for the first time in my entire life the power of God. I, but I didn't know enough of the seed of the word to really accept and be born again. But God was touching me. He was putting a hook in me. It took him a while to reel me in because I would go out again and escape. And he'd have to reel me in and I'd go out again and he'd reel me in. Try to reel me in. It took a while. How many have been reeled in? How many of the Lord took a little while to reel you in? You, know, you can relate. Thank God for that hook. Thank God for that hook. And then he's got the hook in you, brother. So, so he he gave me a book, not this book, but he gave me a book. He said, George, he said, read this book. It can change your life. It was called The Cross and the Switchblade by David Wilkerson. And I read that book. Now I was an Episcopalian, which is like being Catholic without the Pope. Okay, high Episcopal church with the smells and the bells, we used to say. And all of that, all of that. Some of you grew up in the Catholic church like my wife, so very similar. And I'm reading this book about Christians like Nicky Cruz. You ever heard that name? He was a gang leader. I'm reading about all these people that got saved out of the gangs of New York City. And I'm thinking to myself, this is unlike anything I've ever heard before because to me, you know, I didn't want to be associated with the church because the other altar boys, they were kind of like a little light. You know what I'm saying? And, and uh, I didn't want to, I wanted to hang out with, the, I wanted to be a real man like the guys on the street on the, on the corner. What a deception. They weren't real men at all. But in my eyes, they were more than the kids in the church and so forth. So, you know. God had his hook in me. He kept reeling, and he kept reeling, and he kept reeling. And one day, you can read the rest of it in here, but one day, by the grace of God, a sense of desperation came over me by the Holy Spirit. You have to understand, nobody in my family was saved. 
I, I dedicated this book to people that pray for people that, that, are not, that don't have anybody else to pray for them. Mm -hmm. See, I thank God for those testimonies where people say, I had a praying grandmother, I had a praying mother. I led my father and mother to the Lord. So I didn't have anybody pray me, and that I know of. It might have been a distant uncle or something that I don't know about, but that I know of. No one in my family ever witnessed to me about Jesus. I never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet I could have passed, I want to say this, I could have passed a theological test while I was on heroin. Because it's not what you have in your head if you experience Jesus in your heart. If someone would have came up to me as a, as a junkie, as a drug addict, back in the late 60s, if they would have said, do you believe in the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit? I would have said, absolutely. Do you believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ? I would have said, you, of course I do. Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? I would have answered yes. Do you believe there's a heaven and hell? I would have, asked, I would have said yes. But I wasn't saved. So believing with a mental assent and agreement to fact does not change your life. The new birth is an experience not a feeling, not an emotion, but an experience of transformation. And so I remember when I was born again, so I can test to that. Thank God for his salvation. But I remember on one occasion, I was driving down the street, riding in this beat-up car. And I looked over at the guy that I was riding with. Now, I'm 16 years old. Yeah, 16 years old. And the guy that I was driving with was a man by the name of, now you'll recognize this as a real serious South Philly name. His name was Janutz. <laughs> Janutz is kind of like a slang for John. Janutz. Janutz was there. He was like a big-time heroin addict, like he was in his, like 50 years old. And I remember I glanced over at him, and we were going to cop drugs together, and I thought to myself, how did I get here? What am I doing, 16 years old, driving in the car with a 50-year-old man going to buy drugs? And I didn't know it was the Holy Spirit, but now I do. The Holy Spirit whispered to my heart, that is a picture of you, unless your life has changed. And so desperation, my heart would begin to beat with, with a fear, but it was a holy fear, a fear that I was going to die. I could picture myself lying dead in an, in an alley somewhere. And <clears throat> I, I got on the phone, and I needed help. And I called Galdenzia House. I didn't even call Teen Challenge. I called Galdenzia House. How many of you know sometimes we call the Lord last? <laughs> I called Galdenzia House and the person was so cold, they said, this, that, 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 real therapeutic. And they said, well, we'll put you on the waiting list. And I hung up, I said, man, that's not what I need. <laughs> and I had this track that said Teen Challenge on the back of it. And I said, well, I don't know. I'll give them a call. And they said, can you come in for an interview? I, and I, I said, yeah, I'll come in. And I went in, the, uh, I think it was the next day. That was a real miracle, just getting there. I was so messed up. I was on methadone and heroin at the same time, a high school dropout from South Philadelphia High School that I visited like maybe four times in my life. And, uh, and so they said, can you come in tomorrow? And I'm saying, yeah, I'll be there tomorrow. And I'm thinking, all the while I'm saying that, I'm thinking, why am I agreeing to this? Why am I agreeing to this? But you know what it was? It was the Lord reeling me in. In the back of my mind, it's like I, I could hear myself saying yes and being agreeable to all these things, and I thought, this is so strange. Now, just to show you my frame of reference, I, because I had been to almost every drug rehab in the city of Philadelphia by that time, I've been to St. Luke's Hospital, I've been to Pennsylvania Hospital on the second floor of the mental health clinic, I've been to this one, I've been to that one, to the group therapy and all of that kind of stuff, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, 
I thought, well, I'm going to go to Teen Challenge, and here's what I thought. I had visions of priests bringing me breakfast in bed. <laughs> and I'm going to play dominoes, and we're going to get over on these people. It's a religious organization. We'll be buying drugs out the window like we did at St. Luke's Hospital. We'll have the, the, the string coming down, you know. And you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are laughing. Laughter is a form of confession. <laughs> And, and I, thought, I thought to myself, that's what it's going to be. You know, I went to Teen Challenge. Now, this is funny, but you've got to picture this. I, I'm just from Episcopalian altar boy background. And so, so this is all new to me. So I go in there and they said, all right, everybody, get ready. We're going to revival. I said, we're going where? <laughs> What's that? I never heard of a revival. So we didn't have 15 passenger vans back in those days. We only had 12 passenger vans. And, but we could make a 15 passenger van out of a 12 passenger van. Because we could put three guys on the motor. Remember, they had a motor on the inside and the wheel well. That was a seat. And so we went across the Walt Whitman Bridge. And all these guys from Teen Challenge that were brand new Christians. And they were radical like some of you. And, and somebody said, come on, let's sing. And they're singing, there is power, power, wonder working. And I'm, and I'm thinking, man, these people, these are the people that need help. <laughs> Seriously, I'm thinking these people are crazy. And I can still picture myself over to the side of the van near the glass replaying, replaying Jimi Hendrix songs in my mind to try to keep what I thought was my sanity. So they're singing, then somebody said, let's pray around. What is that? that? What praying around was, I found out, was you started at the back of the van and you weaved all the way to the front of the van and every pray, everybody prayed the most re ridiculously long and emotional prayer that they could. And, you know, these are guys that didn't even know anything about Jesus the week before. And now the guy's lifting up his voice saying, Oh, thou that dwellest between the cherubim. I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and, and then it came my turn to pray. I said, Okay, no, next time. I passed. <laughs> And then we go into this church that's in the middle of Red Hot Revival. I'm telling this story. My wife's heard it before. And, and the guy's preaching. He looks like Elijah. He looks like Elijah. He's preaching on Elijah, and he looks like Elijah. I thought, this guy putting spells on people. In the middle of church, somebody got out of their seat and ran to the altar. I said, what? Why is he doing that to that poor girl? She's crying at the altar. I thought, he I didn't understand. And then at the end, he gave an altar call. I answered an altar call without knowing what an altar call was. Because I was in the middle of this pew with Teen Challenge guys on the right, Teen Challenge guys on the left. And when this director gave, this evangelist gave the altar call, the whole, the whole uh, aisle, the whole uh, pew kind of moved in mass to the center aisle. <laughs> By the time we got to the center aisle, the people from behind were pressing forward. So... I just, I found myself in a most dangerous position. Now, this is funny, but it's true. I was directly, like where the communion table was, in front of the pulpit looking up like this to the evangelist. He looked down at me with those Elijah-like eyes, and he said, I can't believe he said it, literally, I want the whole church to come pray for this young man. This young man just came into the program. It was a largely Italian church in, in, uh, in Glassboro, New Jersey. And that was like that was like saying sick of to some of those old Italian women that were there. They couldn't wait to get their hands on me and pray for me. They were like it was like burning rubber coming to the front and they're laying hands on me. Oh set him free, you know, and I'm like, what in the world? Freaked me out. But listen, I could not deny that there was a power in that place unlike anything that I'd ever experienced except a little sample in prison. 
And then when I was in the program, I saw stuff that didn't make any sense. Black, white, Puerto Rican, all together, praying, loving each other, reading the Bible. I said, what is this? We'd be killing each other back in my neighborhood. And here we are singing songs together and praying together. And I cried out to God. And I said, you know, the Bible says this poor man cried. That's a heart cry. Not just tears. You can have tears that are, that are, not, that are phony. But a heart cry. This poor man, David said, cried. And the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his fears. So I said something. I don't remember the exact words, but it was something like this. Oh, God, if what these people are telling me is real, please change my life. Come into my life. It's not the importance of the exact words you say, but it's the position and the posture of your heart. And that was in, somewhere in February of 1971. Because I just about answered like every altar call. We went to church five days a week, seven days a week. I, I went to so many altar calls, I can't tell you when I got saved. But one of them took. One of them took. And I'm here today to tell you that you can be kept by the power of God. The same power that delivered me in 1971 has kept me. I haven't kept myself. You know, people say, oh, man, that's so great. You changed your life. <laughs> I didn't change you. you misunderstand. I didn't change my life. Jesus set me free. Yes. Ruth? Can you, did you ever fall? When you accepted Jesus and God delivered you, did you ever have a setback where you fell? How come you won't ask that? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did. I'll tell you what. Let me tell you. That's a good, it's an important question. Because sometimes people give a testimony and they give the impression that they never had any problems from that time forward. That's not the case. The first time that I had a trip up, was when they made me a junior staff, they used that term back in those days. And they sent me to Newark, Delaware to help with the staff. And I, I made the mistake, because I, I love music, I still love music, uh, you know, and I, I started listening to the underground FM station that I was delivered from. You're not supposed to, we weren't supposed to do that, that was a rule, it was supposed to be like free from that, just focus on the word. And I started to listen, ah, oh, there's Jimi Hendrix again, there's my old friend. And it wasn't long until I started to have thoughts of, maybe I, you see how things progress, how the devil works? Maybe I'd like to have a cigarette. And so I went out and I bought a cigarette. This is the summer of 1971, bought a pack of cigarettes. And then, isn't, that, isn't how, you know, the devil will get you for a real cheap price sometimes. So I bought, I bought some stupid cough syrup that made me sick. It didn't even make me high, it made me sick. But my friend who was on staff with me saw me and confronted me and reported me. <laughs> now, I didn't like him at the time, but he really made me save my spiritual life. Now, I was saved. This is, I'm thank you for sharing that. I was saved and delivered at the time, and I had a degree of maturity, but I didn't fully understand the grace of God. So I, I want to tell you about this. I call it a grace awakening on I-95. So they said, you can't be on the staff anymore. Not now. So Dwayne Henders is now a very, very good friend of mine. We've been to Africa and all places together and in mission field, on the mission fields. He came in his car. I still remember an old station wagon, uh, Plymouth station wagon, to get me to bring me back to Teen Challenge. Now, I got in the car, and he was silent for a while on 95. My thought was that I had failed God, and God was finished with me. I felt certain they were kicking me out of Teen Challenge, and I could not serve God. 
So I said to Dwayne Henders, I said to him, so what, what's the deal, Dwayne? Uh, when do I leave and go back home? And he looked over at me, startled. He said, you're not going anywhere. He said, you're going to ask God to forgive you. This Sunday's communion Sunday. You're going to go down to the altar. You're going to take communion, and you're going to seek first the kingdom of God. You're going to start over again right. And I thought to myself, now this may, you may take this for granted that you understand the grace of God. Don't ever do that. I thought to myself, or oh, I had a grace awakening on 985. I said, my goodness, you mean after God saved me and delivered me from drugs and I messed up, he would save me, he would restore me, he could help me get back? You know, that's the kind of God that we serve. And now I had to sit down, you know, and I had to pay attention and just be under the word all over because I had to start over a little bit, you know. But I didn't even think that I could be saved after I messed up. But how many of you know God's grace will sustain you? So thank you for answering, for asking that question. Praise God. And now it's been 50 years. There's been ups, there's been downs, but God has been faithful. Amen. I'm supposed to talk about baptism now. We still have time to talk about baptism? Yeah, we got all night. Yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got all night. Somebody said, speak for yourself. <laughs> what time do you usually finish? Um, we're good, we're good Whoa! <laughs> you guys are serious. Well, I, I want to what I want to do is I want to read through every one of the Gospels what it says about baptism. Now, what I want to tell you is there's four different baptisms, and I want to try to differentiate between the four. And then I want to, after I do that, and I think Vinny's going to help me read, he's got some people to help. Then I'm going to just open it up for questions. Is that fair enough? Okay. So uh, go ahead, take it away. Sure. So we're going to start with uh, what, we, what we read last week in Mark uh, chapter 1. Like we'll do the first 11 to 13 verse. Just in the recap, that, that book about Jesus' baptism. So for whoever wasn't here last week, I'll just go through it real quick. Uh, in the beginning... I mean, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So we established last week that in the first sentence, he's already called him the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Those are quotes from the Old Testament prophesying Jesus. Or prophesying John the Baptist, actually, making the way. Uh, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. We're referring to John the Baptist here. Then all the land of uh, Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. It was a big deal for Jews to want to get baptized because that was them openly admitting that they were very far from God. Yes. And the Jordan River was not by any means a, a, a fantastic river. They wouldn't even baptize their, uh, their their dishes and plates and cups in that river. So this was like out of the ordinary for them. Uh, now John was clothed with camel hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. This is because he grew up in the wilderness. To uh, first, uh, the reason why he went out there was to escape King Herod's massacre. Then he just kind of like hung out in the wilderness. Uh, he preached, saying, "There comes one after me who is mightier than I." whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I, I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. This is, uh, this is important. It's prophetic. It's talking about uh, 
you know, the difference between water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit and Pastor Baffer will get into that a little bit. Um, verse 9, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee, which was uh, not not like, uh, not the Bible Belt or anything like that. It wasn't really a great town. Um, Definitely not the Bible Belt. And was baptized uh, by John in the Jordan River. So he's coming from uh, uh, Galilee of the Gentiles, they called it, and being baptized in uh, in like uh, an insufficient river, we'll call it. And immediately, which is one of Mark's favorite words, he said he uses it 40 times in his gospel. Coming up from the water, this was after he got baptized, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. So the, uh, the word they used here for parting was ripped. So the heavens were ripped open, and it's the same word that they use again later on in the gospel, speaking of the veil being ripped after, uh, after Jesus gave up his spirit. And then it says the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. So the Spirit actually, you, the, the people that were there saw the Spirit physically descend on Jesus and rest on him. It, it, it didn't look like a dove, but he's referring to it as a dove because a dove is one of the, it's probably the most gentle bird, and it just kind of like floats down and, and, and it stood on that. It stood on Jesus. Then a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Gives me chills every time I hear that part. I love that. Uh, then 12 and 13, we didn't read last week, but immediately, again, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by <coughs> Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. So this is saying that right after Jesus had that, that amazing moment with the Father, where he told him, you're my son, and I'm well pleased, the Holy Spirit of the, our Heavenly Father took him out in the wilderness to be tested and tempted by the devil and uh, you know he withstood that temptation and we get into it more in a couple other gospels but we'll get into that next week but it's saying that he was with the wild beast and the angels ministered to him and this is just showing Jesus' authority uh, and his dominion Jesus is, is considered the second Adam when, when God created Adam in the first place he had dominion over all the animals so this is like a picture of, of Adam when he was with the wild beast and, uh, and and they, they all kind of like listened to him, you know what I mean? So he was able to hang out with the wild beast. This is showing Jesus in the same light that he was in the wilderness with the wild beast and they weren't attacking him. And then it's showing his authority over angels as well because uh, the angels ministered to him and to all his needs. So, all right. We could, we could stop it there. But you will notice the next two verses, John was put in prison. After John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. So there's that direct emphasis, the kingdom. And he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, which means it's here. At hand means it's close by. It's right here. The kingdom, not in its visible form like one day when Jesus is going to rule physically on the earth, but spiritually, the kingdom is here. Wherever the king rules and reigns, there is the kingdom. And then he said, repent and believe the gospel. Okay. So let's, uh, let's move on to the next verse there, the next passage, which I think is Matthew, right? Matthew, yeah, which one? 3, uh, 3, 3 11, 17, yeah. 3, 11, 17. Yeah. Anybody have it? Anybody want to read it? Matthew 3, 11, 17. You got it? Mm -hmm. Nice and loud. Yes. I got it. I Who is greater than I am? <coughs> that I'm not worthy even to be a slave and carry the sandals. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat, which is a known sport. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his farm, but burning his chaff with never ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. So John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said, it, it shall be done for you. must carry out all that God required. So Jesus is the baptized. After the baptism of Jesus came out of the morning, the heavens were open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a bell and settling on him. And the voice he had been said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Thank you, Jason. Thank you very much. Do you want to read Luke? Yeah. Which one? Luke 21 to 23. 3, chapter 3, 21 to 23. Okay. Chapter 3, starting at verse 21. This is very similar to Matthew, to what was just said in Matthew, it's kind of like if you saw something happen, whether it was a, a, an accident or something, and you say, well, there's four witnesses, but they're all, they're all describing the same thing from, from different angles. That's the way to think of the Gospels, okay? Yeah. Got it? Yeah, absolutely. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus was also baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. Okay. So uh, what what difference do you see in there from from Matthew? There's something very interesting that's in there. Bodily form. What's that? The bodily form. Okay, bodily form. And another thing, what was Jesus doing just prior to the Holy Spirit descending upon him? Praying. Praying. You notice that? That the Matthew doesn't tell us that. But Luke tells us while he was praying, the Holy Spirit descended. So um, I have seen people get baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit at one time, one shot. We'll talk about that again some other time in a little bit. But so we see here that in both cases, John the Baptist is baptized. And this is now the baptism of John the Baptist, right? And so... Uh, that's number one baptism. The baptism of John the Baptist. None of us have had that baptism, right? Because obviously John's not around to do it. And we don't need it because his baptism was a preparation for the coming of Jesus. It was kind of like, like uh, toiling up the ground, tearing up the ground, getting it ready for the gospel seed. So John the Baptist's baptism is no longer uh, with us today. And you remember on one occasion... Paul asked some disciples in, I think it's Acts chapter 19, uh, well, how did you get baptized? Well, we got baptized by uh, John. He said, well, he kind of corrected their theology and then baptized them again in the name of Jesus. So the baptism of John was a preparation for the coming of the Messiah. Of course, Jesus Christ himself was the Messiah and he submitted to it. For what reason? Did Jesus need to repent of sin? No. No. He did it as an example to fulfill all of the law. 
Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God, he had to fulfill all of the law. Now turn with me to John chapter 1, and John is perhaps one of my favorite places in the Bible, John chapter 1. John gives a unique perspective. It's not a contradiction. Some people get confused and they say, well, John is contradicting Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and they, get, they don't understand it, but it gives a different perspective, a unique perspective. Uh, John starts out with eternity. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. He's, he starts out that way, where the others start out with more of like time and space and things that happen. But uh, let's just take a look at this. In verse 28 of chapter 1, I want to show you something. And these things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing, and the next day, so John was baptizing, and the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him. And you know these are famous words. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Now notice, isn't it interesting that he uses sin singular and not sins? Yeah. It came to take away the sin of the world. So that means not just that Jesus didn't come just to take away all and, and forgive us of all of our sins, which we need forgiveness for, but to deliver us from the very sin principle of unbelief and of our fallen nature. So behold the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I know that's a little bit convoluted, but it's there, a little abstract. I, and then listen to this. This is something that John adds that none of the other Gospels tell us about. I did not know him, John said, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. Now again, Matthew and Mark don't tell us that. Remember uh, Matthew and Luke. Matthew says he, was, he got baptized, the heaven opened. Uh, the Holy Spirit descended. This is my beloved Son, whom I'm well pleased. Luke says it happened while he was praying, and that's a good example for us to do anything we do with a prayerful heart. If you get baptized in water, I always encourage people, go into the water praying. Be praying and anticipating what God will do. Uh, but here he says that the Spirit remained upon him. But listen to what John says in verse 33, if you're with me. I did not know him, but... He who sent me, well, who sent John? God the Father. He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, now, this is important, we're going to get an insight into what God the Father said to John about Jesus. Listen to this. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining, that's Jesus, this is he, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Let me try to explain it this way. The two designations, the two markers, the evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, what were they? One was very familiar to us. He's the Lamb of God. He's a let Paul, you know, that means every sacrifice all the way back to the book of Exodus, the Passover lamb, the Bible says Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, is sacrificed for us. So Jesus is a lamb of God. How many say amen? <laughs> Jesus is a lamb of God. Now, I think included in that, if I could just be so bold as to say that with his stripes we are healed. So healing is, 
a part of that. So there's forgiveness, there's healing. Jesus is the Lamb of God. But then John says something that we, we don't really emphasize enough. John says, not only is the, the Lord show me that he's the Lamb of God, but he's the baptizer. So here's two identifying marks from the scripture, not from my theology book or from some denomination or the Assemblies of God or Baptist. But listen, Jesus is the baptizer with or in, both are correct in the Greek text, in or with the Holy Spirit. So when people say, well, I don't like that thing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, Jesus is the baptizer. Always remember this, Jesus is the Savior, Jesus is the healer, Jesus is the baptizer. He's the one doing the baptizing, okay? So now we have already established in the scriptures we read that there's at least two different kinds of baptisms. Now what does the word baptism mean? The word baptism means to immerse, to submerge, to immerse. It was used of people in Bible days that would die in a vat, certain things to change the color. Uh, any of you ever die something? Any, anybody here ever like die a sweater or something? And you have to submerse it, right? Immerse it, submerge it. And so, so that's what the word actually means. So John the Baptist is actually literally John the Immerser. Isn't that interesting? John the Immerser. And so and that's what it means. And so there's the baptism in water, i.e. the Jordan River in this case, and that's a preparation of baptism. It's not Christian baptism. We haven't gotten to that yet. So that's one baptism. We all agreed on that? Mm -hmm. The second baptism is that Jesus will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. So John is saying something here. He's in about the river Jordan. He's baptizing people, and I believe he's putting them in the water, coming up out of the water like he did himself. He gets baptized, Jesus himself, that same way. The Holy Spirit comes. And then John says, he's going to baptize you in or with the Holy Spirit. So he's there by the, by the river of Jordan when he's saying that. So I'm going to ask, uh, if you can understand this, that John the Baptist, does anybody know what his father was? What was his occupation? His father's name was Zacharias. His mama's name was Elizabeth. Hurry, do you know what his father's occupation was? Do you know, Vinny? He was a priest. Remember while he was in burning incense that the vision appeared to him? You shall name his name John and all of that. So some very good theologians believe that, that this, if you were the son of a priest, you were in line to be a priest. Watch this. I think it might be a blessing to you. So the Levitical priesthood, which goes called that because it goes all the way back to Levi, Aaron, and his sons, and all of that, the Levitical priesthood is no more because Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. He is our high priest. That's the reason why we don't need anybody but Jesus. The Bible teaches that all of us, if we're born again, are a company of priests now. We're New Testament priests. Now, I know the Catholic Church teaches different, but I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Okay? And so, listen... Uh, when John the Baptist, was, who was in line to be a priest, and a representative of the priest, because his daddy was a priest, when he was baptizing Jesus, who was a greater priest, the high priest, think about this, one priesthood was dying while another one was emerging out of the water. When Jesus came up out of the water, the Levitical priesthood, no more. Now, it went on to feebly continue until the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. But the bottom line is that act of water baptism was the elimination of, uh, of the Old Testament, Old Covenant, 
priesthood, and Jesus is now the priest. So we got two. That's a little bit of a sidebar, but we've got two different baptisms now, right? You follow me now? Jesus is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. Well, what's the third baptism? We all know this. The turn to the Great Commission. Everybody know what the Great Commission is? Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 19, and 20. Uh, somebody in their right mind, read that. Okay. <laughs> Phil, Phil, would you read that? Would you not get somebody else get in on this? No, Phil, Phil's going to do it. You did it last time. Okay, hold steady. Please be in order. Phil, my brother Phil. <laughs> Go ahead. Matthew 28, verses uh, 18, 19, and 20. We all know this. Amen. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, that's baptism number three now. Now we've already nailed down three baptisms. Right? Three different baptisms. So you thought there was only one. I'm going to show you that there's a fourth one. But there's three baptisms mentioned in the Bible. Number one, John the Baptist, that's no more. We don't need that because it was only until Jesus came to lead up to Jesus. Follow me? Number two, then there's Christian baptism, which is the most familiar to us, where we make disciples. It's part of the Great Commission, part of discipleship. And how many of you have been baptized in water according to the scripture? I was baptized when I was a little baby, but I don't remember that. But I do remember when I got baptized as a born-again believer and a testimony. And so will baptism save you? No, because if you go down a dry center, you will come up a wet center. <laughs> and people have made up so many crazy things about baptizing. There was one guy that said, you can only be baptized in running water. It has to be a river. So he said, why? He said, because the sins are washing down from the stream of the water. I said, we got a problem with that, because what if there's another baptism downstream? They're getting all the time. <laughs> doesn't make any sense. That would be crazy stuff. But, but so there's Christian baptism. Now I think uh, Vinny told me, you, you know, somebody asked a question, well what about, is it in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, or is it in the name of Jesus? Now there was a, there's a church that says if it's not done in the name of Jesus, you're not even saved. I, I think that's a heresy. I think that's not in the Bible. So why is there a discrepancy? Well, the Bible says do all things in the name of Jesus. But that doesn't mean that we walk around all day in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, I ironed this, in the name of Jesus, I washed this. So that we don't do that, right? So it means in the authority of his name. So when I used to baptize people, so I made sure I covered all bases, I would put them under the water, I would say, and by the authority of the name of Jesus, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. See, I got both of them covered right there. And I think that's actually biblically correct. So there's, there's that, that baptism, which we are all familiar. That's Christian baptism. That's when, so you don't get, get it twisted, that's where it says one Lord, one faith, one baptism. It's talking about that Christian baptism. We've already proved that there's three baptisms, right, from the Bible. So what's the third baptism? This is where it gets a little bit more abstract, and, and this is important because people get this confused. And this is where there is a lot of confusion about what is the baptism in the Holy Spirit, the baptism with the Holy Spirit. So now, it's not the baptism by the Holy Spirit. This is the one that I'm going to show you now. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
I should have had it ready. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, he's talking about spiritual gifts, right? And then comes the love chapter. Isn't it amazing? Inserted right in the middle because he wants us to know that although you speak with the tongues of men and angels and have all kinds of gifts, if you don't have love, forget it. If you're not operating in love, right? And then chapter 14 is like practicum. It's like, do, you know, this, do this, let, you know, be careful, here's the rules. Let all things be done to edification. That's chapter 14. But in chapter 12, he's talking about spiritual gifts. And these are different, I think, in nature than many of the other spiritual gifts in the Bible. The reason I say that is these are supernatural in essence. So I call them myself, my own personal opinion, I call them manifestation gifts. Notice it says, a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom. Not, there's no gift of wisdom and gift of knowledge. You can, you can have knowledge by being a student of the word of God. But a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, is when there's a supernatural impartation that comes to you. We'll have to talk about that another time. By the way, there is no such thing as the gift of discernment. I hear Christians say that all the time. I have the gift of discernment. Some, I think, have the gift of suspicion, <laughs> which is no gift at all. But it's not called the gift of discernment. What is it called? Discerning of spirits. Discerning of spirits. Isn't that different than discernment? Because what is discernment? A mark of maturity. Every Christian ought to have discernment, but not everybody's going to have the discerning of spirits. I've, I've experienced that gift where someone stands up in a service and blurts out something and the Holy Spirit says, that's not from me. That's not from me. That's, that could be, to be able to distinguish, is it the Holy Spirit, a human spirit, or a demon spirit? That is the gift of discerning of spirits. It's supernatural revelation, okay? Well, I wasn't planning to get into that. But listen to this in verse 12. As the body is one, he's stressing the unity of the body, and as, and, and as the members, it has many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. Everybody agree with that? I hope so. It's in the Word of God. Now here's the most, one of the most misunderstood scriptures about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. For by one Spirit, listen to this, we were all baptized into one body. Say that with me. By one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, have all been made to drink into the one spirit. I don't know if that's my phone yeah, that's or not. Yours, uh, Ruth, could you, <laughs> could you shut my phone up? I'm sorry. I'm so sorry about that. Probably my daughter calling saying, where in the world are you? So by one spirit, we're all baptized into one body. Now, people have confused this with the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism by the Holy Spirit. Let me try to illustrate this to you by asking my good friend Giovanni, who has volunteered to be an example. Come up here, brother. Let's give him a hand. Okay. When I baptize people, let's just pretend we're in like a tank of water or a river somewhere. Come on over here, my brother. So we've got to pretend. I'm not going to throw you onto the floor or anything. Don't worry. I, I, would usually have, I do it differently. Uh, I usually have people put their hand up over their mouth. And then I would go like this. And in the authority of Jesus' name, I now baptize you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Put it back into the water. Now, you have a baptizer, which if we were doing it, would be me. I'm, I'm baptizing him, right? I'm the baptizer. Follow me. He's the, the baptizee, or let's just say the candidate. 
guy getting the person getting baptized. The element into which he's being baptized is water. Do you see it? Okay. So in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, who is the baptizer? Jesus. What is the element into which you're being baptized? Into the Holy Spirit. Can you see that? Jesus is, thank you, brother. <laughs> Jesus is the baptizer. Now, let me try to prove that to you in, by Scripture, not by my own opinion. In Acts chapter 2, take a look at this. Acts chapter 2, which is the day of Pentecost, right? Try not to be much longer. Hang in there because I want to put plenty of time for questions and answers. In Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up, he preaches, 3,000 people get saved. Remember the story? Okay. And Jesus, uh, Peter is finishing up his sermon here in verse 32. <clears throat> By the way, it's so good to see everybody with their Bible here. A lot of Bibles. How many of you actually have a physical Bible? Just hold it up. A physical Bible. Wow! That is impressive because today everybody, you have to say, open up your Bible or your device. <laughs> but look at this, verse 32. This Jesus, God has raised up, resurrection, by which we are all witnesses. Okay? Everybody believe Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, after his resurrection, being exalted to the right hand of God. Everybody with me so far? Pretty straightforward, pretty orthodox Christianity. And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he, Jesus, poured out this which you now see and hear. What did they now see and hear? But they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They spoke in other languages at that time. I'm not, I'm not trying to get involved right now with the issue of tongues, the sign, this, that. I'm just trying to establish there's four baptisms. Number one, the baptism of John, which is no more. It's diminished. And, you know, we can't be baptized by that because John's not around. So let's just put that off to the side. Number two, Christian baptism, which every Christian ought to have. Number three... The baptism of the Holy Spirit, in the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit, which is Jesus the baptizer putting us in, submersing us in the Spirit. At salvation, the Holy Spirit is doing the baptism, i.e. the passage in, and do you see the difference in 1 Corinthians chapter 12? By one Spirit, we're baptized into one body. So we're not baptized into the Holy Spirit there. The Holy Spirit is doing the baptism into the body. So every time someone gets saved, you don't have to become, I mean, there's, there's membership classes in some churches. That's not all bad. But I'm just saying, the moment someone is born again, this is what I believe, I think the scripture teaches clearly, that there's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit living within them. So so-called Pentecostals have done of themselves a disservice by saying stuff like, hey, now that you're saved, you know, you need the Holy Spirit. <laughs> then a good Baptist replied, what are you, crazy? I have the Holy Spirit. I wouldn't be saved if I didn't have the Holy Spirit. They're right. <laughs> so there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, every Christian, the placement that the Holy Spirit takes and puts us in the body. You're automatically part of the body of Christ when you're saved. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 12 and 13 teaches. But there is even something beyond that. There's another baptism where Jesus himself is the baptizer. It seems to me through the book of Acts that that does not happen automatically. So now you have saved people 
that Paul's laying hands on them, right? And Peter's preaching in Cornelius. We see two of the baptisms taking place in, in Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10. How many have ever read that before? In Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching in the middle of his sermon. They must have gotten saved in the middle of sermon. How do we know that? Because the Holy Spirit, I love this terminology, fell on them. And they all spoke in tongues and magnified God. Then Peter said, wow, look at this. Then they got the same thing we got at Pentecost. I'm paraphrasing, but you can check me out on this. And he said, who can forbid water to them? So now let's baptize them in water. Got two baptisms there. So they're baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it was happening all in Sequence. Sometimes the Holy Spirit, because you can't ever put him in a box, he changes up the sequence. <laughs> but for sure, you need to be saved first, and then baptized in water, then baptized in the Holy Spirit. You know, you don't get baptized in water, then get saved. And water baptism doesn't save you. It's an outward sign of an inward work. I hope I haven't confused the issue. Any questions? My wife has a question. I haven't grounded her properly. <laughs> No, I didn't say that, but I said if you have to be saved. No person that is unsaved should be baptized in water. It does happen, but it's not, it's out of order and it doesn't mean anything. Because, you know, like I said, you go down a dry center, come up a wet center. This happens out of pressure. Some people grew up in the Baptist church and they said stuff like this. Oh, you're about 13 years old now. All my friends are getting, you should get baptized. Oh, okay. Right. You know. Now, if you grew up Catholic, you didn't have any say in it. You just got baptized right, as a baby. But in, in, in the evangelical churches or Baptist churches, youth group pressure, I call it. Uh, we're getting baptized. You should get baptized. So, oh, okay, because your friends get baptized. Then I've baptized people that have said to me, that didn't mean anything to me, Pastor. I want to get rebaptized. Now, let me say something about being rebaptized. I have had people come to me over the years and say, I just made a rededication of my life to the Lord. Baptize me again. I say, you don't need to get back. If, if I baptize you every time you rededicate yourself to the Lord, we got to have the tank full every day of the week. we got to baptize everybody over and over. No, 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 no. That's not what the Bible teaches. When you have a clear testimony, you've accepted Jesus, you're born again, you've, your testimony is I've decided to follow Jesus, you should demonstrate that openly to people, publicly. Remember Billy Graham used to always say, whoever Christ called disciples, he called them publicly. Mm -hmm. If you'd be ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you, Jesus said. So you do it publicly because Jesus died on the cross and hung there publicly. Yes. So that's water baptism, Christian baptism. The baptism in the Holy Spirit, again, it's important because Jesus talked about it himself. In Acts chapter 1, the last words of Jesus was, you shall be baptized in the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And they waited in a prayer meeting for 10 days. They didn't even know what they were waiting for. They knew they were waiting for the power from on high. Tarry, wait until you're clothed upon, endued upon with power from on high. And while they were waiting, they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit. By the way, I love this. I love this. We were talking about this on lunch. Uh, a lot of times, if you're witnessing and sharing your faith with someone Catholic, they don't understand, they will say, they will question you, and they'll say, tell me what you think about Mary. <laughs> tell me about Mary. I love that question, because I always say, oh, I love Mary. I want to be like Mary. I, my, my desire is to be like Mary. Tell them that. 
You know, Mary said, you know what Mary said in John chapter 2? Whatever he, Jesus, says to you, do it. I am trying to do whatever Jesus says. I want to be like Mary. And by the way, you can throw this out. Did you know that Mary was one of the first Pentecostals? Yes, she was. Mary was there in the upper room and was baptized in the Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. In other languages, Mary was Pentecostal. But I think she had something up on all of the others. Because remember the Holy Spirit came upon her when she was impregnated supernaturally? So when the day of Pentecost came and that power came down, Mary said, oh, I've felt this before. <laughs> I think she might have said something like that. So Mary was Pentecostal. So I would say to people, just why don't you just be like Mary? Okay. Any questions? We got somebody else in on that. This is the, I did not rig this, so my wife likes to do this. So I have a choice. When I get baptized in water, I know to go and get baptized in water. How do I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Okay, how do you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says it's called the promise of the Father and it's called a gift. Mm -hmm. How do you receive any gift from God? Any gift. How do you receive salvation? How do you receive healing? By faith you receive it. Now, I do think there's something helpful that we can glean from, the, from Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 10 that when they received and experienced this mighty baptism in the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> there seems to be an emphasis on praise. They spoke in tongues and magnified God. So I shared this with Vinny, whose experience. I experienced it when I was after I was saved in 1971. I, I, had, I didn't have to unlearn anything, thank God. So when we first went to a prayer meeting, you know, we would pray like we'd have service like every day, almost two times a day. And I was good for like about maybe 15 seconds, my Episcopalian prayer. Then I would look up and I would say, man, these guys are going to town. And somebody, I would hear this strange language over here. And I said, isn't it odd that they have German people in Team Challenge? I, I thought somebody was praying in German. I didn't know what speaking in tongues was or anything like that. So when someone explained it to me, no, this, George, this is power from God. I said, there's power from God? More? I can have more power? I'll take all I can get. Because I know the devil's going to come after me. So, you know, I think if your attitude is God, if you're healing anybody, I'm a candidate. If you're baptizing anybody in the Holy Spirit and that power is real for today, I hear it and have at it. I think God will bless that attitude. But as you praise him and the Holy Spirit begins to fill you, that's, I think, key. My good brother had a question. I just had a comment. Oh, comment. I you have to be careful because there's like a cult out there now that tells you you have to be water baptized. In order to be, it's called baptismal regeneration is one of the terms. Yes. They, they're called the Church of Christ or the Boston Church of Christ at one point they were called. Yeah. you got to be careful because they're teaching people unless you are baptized, you can't be saved, and that's false. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you 110%. Uh, there was a church that said unless you are baptized in water with the name of Jesus invoked over you. I have the document, which in and of itself, that terminology sounds a bit cultic. Then the blood of Jesus is applied to you in the waters of baptism. That's false because the thief dying on the cross didn't get baptized. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And Acts chapter 15, there's a great verse in there that says, God has purified their hearts by faith. That doesn't mean that water baptism is not important or significant, though, because it's an it's act command. of obedience. It's a command, but yep. it's subsequent to salvation. Absolutely. Yeah. I believe 100% what you said. I remember I got dragged out to Ohio with this, like... 
college church type deal, and I was on the phone with you for like you told me about that three hours trying to like I was like I'm ready. I know this guy's trying. He tried to tell me I wasn't saved when I got baptized. And you were like coaching me over the phone. I'm like I'm gonna go tell him. I'm gonna tell him everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm wrong. I know it. I feel it. <laughs> Yeah, one of the marks of a cult is to get you so busy that you're tired that you can't sleep, and to try to, uh, you know, to try to cut you off from your friends or from other leadership and from family. Boy, if you ever get involved, in, you won't get involved. But if you ever get involved and know anybody's involved in anything like that, run from that place, you know, because God does not force Himself on anybody. So anyhow, is that? Go ahead. Go ahead. Last week when uh, when uh, Anthony was here, he, uh, Anthony Armento asked me that question. I, I just I did a little bit of research during the week at home, and I found that one verse that we read earlier in Matthew 28, where it says, "Baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit." And Jesus was right. was telling him to do that, right? And then I found in Acts chapter two, the one we were just in, is verse 38. It says, "Then Peter said to them." Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So I, I read that, and I read the other one, and I could see why, you know, some people would say you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus if they read this verse, and others would say you have to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit if they read the other verse. But to me, it's the same thing. Uh, it says in the, in the Gospel of John that <coughs> I and my Father are one, so Jesus and, and God are the same anyway. But the reason why I think the wording is different here is because in Acts chapter 2, Jesus has, has already been crucified and, 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 and he rose and he's seated at the right hand of the Father. In Matthew 28, when Jesus is talking, he's telling them how to get baptized and Jesus would never glorify himself. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? He would never say, you got to baptize everybody in my name. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Because he was here to glorify the Father and point to the Father. So I, that was just a beautiful revelation that the Lord gave me. Just, you know, how powerful Jesus is and, and, and that he was God. He is God. But while he was talking to the disciples and teaching them, he was saying, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So, I mean, if I had to pick between the two, I would probably go with more of what Jesus said than what Peter said. But it's all the same. So, like I, I said it last week, baptize in the name of both. And I'm, I'm glad you confirmed that for me this week because that was like my answer. But I, I think that that's where the confusion lies. Yeah, I, I mean, we have normally baptized people. Like I said, I cover both bases. But in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, in a practical level, if you, out of a genuine, sincere heart, you're born again, you're saved, and you got baptized, and it was in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that's fine. That's great. And if you went to somebody and the preacher said, or whoever baptized you said, I baptize you in the name of Jesus, that's fine too. You know, the Lord's not in heaven saying, uh-uh, the formula's not exactly, it's not, that's not working, you know. And, you know, so the idea is the heart, and the idea is baptism. Now, I don't think that there's any place uh, in the Bible where it talks about sprinkling infants, okay? But I don't think we should disparage the faith of people that have done the best that they can when parents come and bring their babies. We dedicate babies here. And so I think that you could view that as, thank God if you had parents that cared enough about something about God to take you to the church and get you baptized. But now that you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you want to make that stand yourself. So you don't want to look like that was nasty, horrible, you know, put that down. Don't attack somebody for that. But just try to explain to them 
that you want to be like Jesus. Now, isn't it beautiful that Jesus never commands us to do something that he has not experienced? He just becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. So he submitted himself. What a beautiful example Jesus is. He submitted himself as the perfect servant to the waters of baptism, even though there was no reason in the universe that he needed to be baptized. He did it as an example for us, okay? And then he said, now go into all the world and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he got baptized, setting the example, and then he said, now you go baptize everybody. And baptism was not unknown to Jewish people, because if, if you were a proselyte that came from Gentile background and you wanted to become a part of the Jewish religion, you got baptized. So actually, baptism predated John the Baptist even. It wasn't unknown, but it was incorporated into Christianity. Any other questions? <laughs> not, not the Jordan River. They didn't do it in the Jordan River. No. no. How do you know when you're 100% um, saved? How do you know if you're 100% saved? Well, first of all, did you take God at his word? And does God keep his word? So if the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, John chapter 10, verse 9, 10, and believe in the Lord Jesus and confess and believe in your heart, you shall be saved. Now, Romans, did I say, what did I say? Romans, I'm sorry. Been a long day. Romans, thank you. Hey, I just did. I, I just did that to see if you're paying attention. <laughs> thank you that you're paying attention. So, I think you have to be careful that you don't go by feelings. So, like for example, can you imagine if I woke up tomorrow morning and I'm on the side of the bed and I'm going, oh, and my wife says, "What are you? What are you doing?" Why are you doing it? Why are you straining and making all those noise? I'm trying to be a Valco. You would say the guy's lost his mind. Because I'm either a Valco or I'm not. So when I accept Jesus Christ, I become a child of God. Now, don't go by feelings, but there is something that says there's an assurance of the Holy Spirit. His spirit, Romans chapter 8, his spirit bears witness with our spirit. Like when the Holy Spirit lives within you, you'll sense his presence abiding within you. But if you took him at his word, Jesus said, whoever comes to me, I will never turn away. Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden. All these, I call them invitation scriptures. Beautiful. Well, if, if he doesn't mean what he says, we're all in trouble, right? Let's shut this thing down and join the Kiwanis Club. Forget it. You know what I mean? But... We, we're basically standing on the word of God, not standing on uh, opinions or feelings, okay? But let me just add this. Sometimes we do have to be careful that we don't tell people that they're saved. Let the Holy Spirit do that. We can tell, I can't say to you, oh, sister, you're saved. Don't worry about it. I mean, only God and you know the heart, okay? Now, there'll be fruit. There'll be evidence. So another thing is, how do you know that a baby has been born and is alive? It cries. Mm -hmm. Was it cry? That's a, if you have a baby that doesn't cry, you, you know that's an urgent situation there. You know, that's the reason why the doctor slaps the baby. You know, and everybody, and there's this cry. I don't know if they do that anymore. And then there's this cry, and everybody rejoices at the cry. Imagine that. It happened to us, probably, right? And so that cry is a cry for that air, get breath, breath, the lungs are functioning. 
uh, and prayer is like the breath of the soul. So I'll give you another indication. When Paul the Apostle was saved, God told a man by the name of Ananias, not Ananias and Sapphira, but another one I call him good Ananias. God told Ananias, go and, and, and go talk to this man. And then listen to this. For behold, he is praying. So prayer is an evidence of salvation. I mean, real heartfelt prayer. I know that it's possible to be unsaved and do root prayers, you know, route prayers and whatever, and just recite things. But you're talking to God, you're worshiping. I mean, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't want to do that. Do you have it? In that? And then another reason why a baby cries, any mothers out there that have had babies or have, you know, have little children, you know they cry because feed me, <laughs> feed me. And so is there a heart cry in your spirit for spiritual food? I don't think it's possible for a person to be born again and never have any desire at all for the word of God or spiritual things. I don't think that's possible. Any more than it's possible for a baby to be born into the world and have no desire to breathe and no desire to eat. It's a sign of life. So check, are the vital signs there? See what I'm saying? So praise God. But ultimately, we're standing on the word of God. I'm not, boy, I'm not standing on my feelings to, to, to say, well, I'm saved because I feel good. Because what, happen, what happens those days when I don't feel saved? Do you know I preached for a year one time when we were in Brooklyn, New York. I was pastoring in Brooklyn, New York. And the Lord took me through a period of time for almost a year. I did not feel the presence of God. That was the strangest, strangest thing. I would preach and people would be touched by God. Some even get saved and some be healed. And they would come to me after this. Oh, Pastor, what a word. Thank you. It was great. And I would say, man, I didn't feel a thing. I would ask, I said, Ruth, was, did, I, did I say anything that made sense today? You know, I didn't feel anything. I think God was testing me. Don't depend on feelings. Was I saved? Absolutely I was saved. So there are times that God withdraws, especially uh, when he's testing us. He withdraws those feelings to make sure that we're not de depending upon them. You know, if you're married every, every uh, day, it's not a honeymoon. It doesn't mean you're not married. Okay, so thank God there's peaks and valleys and so forth. But you know what I'm saying? I think the Bible uses that. Any other? Any other thing? Yeah. Turn I got one other comment. One other. Yeah, one other observation. Okay. So when you were saying that um, that baptism that John John the Baptist was doing because he was in line to be a priest because uh, of, <laughs> of the uh, the Levitical uh, the tribe of, of Levi. Uh, I just had this picture in my head, and I just want to share it with everybody. So earlier, I, when I was reading out of the Gospel of Mark, it said that when Jesus went into the water during that baptism and he came out, that the heaven was ripped open. And I, and I commented that the only other time that they used that same Greek word for ripped was when the veil was ripped. Yeah. Right? So when, when Pastor Valco said that, I kind of just had this, this thought, this vision, so at that time, when, uh, when, when the priesthood died and Jesus came out of the water and Jesus was, was still alive, but he had the Holy Spirit just like, like descending on him, God said to him, you are my son in whom I'm, I'm well pleased. Well, flash forward to the cross when Jesus gave up his spirit, right? And that veil was ripped the same way the heaven was ripped open. Right. Like that's, that's the time that we get the spirit of, of adoption. And God can look at us and tell us, you are my son, you are my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. 
I just like, I put the, the word together because I was studying last week and it really says that those are the only two times that that Greek word is used in, in all the Bible. So it was just, it was cool that you mentioned that. Praise God. And uh, I just wanted to share it. I kind of. Yeah, I don't want to get into the theological weeds too much about that, the exchange of priesthoods, but I think, I hope you get the idea. Mm -hmm. The idea that there was a passing away of the old covenant and a brand new high priest. Hebrews talks about that a lot. Jesus is a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek mm -hmm. is beyond the Levitical priesthood. Aaron had to offer sacrifices for himself. Jesus didn't offer sacrifice for himself because he was sinless, perfect, pure Lamb of God, right? Mm -hmm. And didn't need any forgiveness of sins. But then he became... Isn't it amazing that Jesus was the offerer and the offering at the same time? Isn't that, isn't that crazy? So he's the offerer because he's the priest, the high priest, offering the Day of Atonement, the high priest would go in, you know, and offer it. By the way, did you know, just a little thought here, after the, the Temple of Solomon was destroyed in about 60-something, uh, 605 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. We're studying that on Saturdays. Uh, that, that the Ark of the Covenant was never, ever found after that again. So that the second uh, temple that existed, remember, uh, under Nehemiah's day, they, built, they rebuilt the temple, and then that temple was really the same temple that was during Jesus' day. Did you know that in the Holy of Holies... There was no Ark of the Covenant. There was no Ark of the Covenant in the second uh, temple. Just, just a food for thought. When they put a stone where the Ark of the Covenant should be so that when the Roman general Titus came in and they leveled and destroyed uh, uh, Jerusalem and leveled it to the ground, he said, I want to go in and see what's the big deal about this Holy of Holies. And it was like a fake. It was like they, he went in and he said, there's a stone. There's nothing there. They never had the Ark of the Covenant. Remember, there was no glory of God that filled the second temple, only the first temple. So the second temple was kind of a temporary accommodation in the Jewish nation. But now Jesus and the church, we are the spiritual temple. And in 70 AD, when he destroyed that, Jesus said, it is finished. There was a picture of the cornerstone in there. Right. Jesus. Yes, he's the, he's the temple. He's the cornerstone. The, he's the cornerstone. And by the way, I don't know why I'm throwing this out, but there's a lot, and I just want to throw this out to you. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, one of the most powerful things he ever said were coming up, not Good Friday, not that far off. It is, finished. say it with me, it yeah. is finished. And it was finished. Now, there's a teaching circulating, and I won't say who's doing it, but you can probably, you come across it maybe, that Jesus had to die and go to hell and pay the price in hell for our forgiveness. Have you heard about this? Yes. Come across this? Yes. And, then, and then he became, and then he became, someone went said he became born again when he was resurrected. Can I just go on the record to say that is blasphemous nonsense. Jesus Christ never had to be born again. <laughs> he never had, he, he was the God Almighty in the flesh. And when he said it was finished, it was finished. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Some people try to make it. Now that's a big debate. He went into some place that was kind of like, uh, almost like uh, purgatory or something. Luke chapter 16, the paradise side. Page. What's that? Luke chapter 16, the paradise side. Yes, yeah, now, but by the way, the word paradise, the word paradise 
uh, comes from a word that means a garden, a beautiful garden, used in the Garden of Eden. So I think when Jesus said, you'll be with me in paradise, you know what I think he meant? You'll be with me in paradise. <laughs> yes. The word of faith teaching has been going on for like 30 years at least now. Where yeah. they teach Jesus went into hell, mm -hmm. and that's false. That's not new, but that's old. Yeah. Please don't confuse it with uh, the, the, the Apostles' Creed. He descended into right. hell. Right, right. He rose again. Uh, in other words, he came down and put, he went through hell on the cross. Yes. So yeah, I don't, I, yeah. When he died, it was finished. I, th I personally do not do not believe that it's necessary to believe that Jesus literally went into Abraham into a place called hell. He said, "Today you will be with me in paradise." So where was Jesus? He was, I believe, he was spiritually with the Father. When, when one of the last things Jesus said on the cross, "Father, into Thy hands I commit my spirit." So his body was decaying in the tomb. It was there until it was resuscitated on the third day. His spirit and the thief was so glad. Wouldn't you be glad? He went, man, I made it. <laughs> I just made it. Any other questions before I turn it back? I hope I haven't been too, uh, too academic. I don't know. Good. Thank you. Give it up. Pleasure to be here. Praise so God. we got uh, we got two more worship songs. We could uh, just, oh. just magnify the Lord. We'll sing, and while Anthony's setting that up, just pray, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you.